0: Thank you all for coming tonight. I want to take you to the word of the Lord just a few minutes and uh, maybe the Lord will just say some things to us here this evening. Altars in the Bible are significant places of worship and sacrifice. And the lives of many biblical characters in the Old Testament especially are often marked by the altars that they made one of the great patriarchs of old was abraham you've heard the name many 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 times tonight i want to just and and perhaps i don't know maybe you don't get anything out of this maybe you will but i feel like i'm preaching to all of us because everybody in this room needs an altar and i want to talk tonight about the four altars of abraham and perhaps we can glean something from the life of this great man of faith. We call him the Father of the Faithful, and there's a reason that he is called the Father of the Faithful. See, altars can teach us much about our our worship today because worship is not an act. I want you to hear me well. When we say we have praise and worship, worship is not an act Worship is a lifestyle. You can praise God in the sanctuary or praise God going down the road in your car, but worship, here, let, let me give you the definition of what the difference is in praise and worship, in my humble opinion. Praise is giving God thanks and praise for what he, He's done, but worship is worshiping God for who He is. Amen? So worship is an everyday, day in, day out, 24-7 lifestyle. We worship God every day. We don't just worship God on Wednesdays and Sundays here. We worship God on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every day of the week we worship God. Can you say amen? So worship is by means, uh, are the means by which we enter. And Brother Hodges so very... Capably said it Sunday morning, we enter into the presence of God, but it is also the means by which I welcome God to enter into my life and the affairs of my life and my everyday living. The Bible said in him we live and we move and we have our being. In him, not in me. So worship, I welcome God into my life. I welcome him into my family, into my church, into our city, into our world. We worship God and we welcome him in. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to worship God because God loves worship. The Bible said, and I thought about this scripture when Brother Hodges was speaking Sunday morning, the Bible said, he seeketh such to worship him. He seeks worshipers, God does. If you want to please God, you become a worshiper of God. Somebody said amen. Psalms 22 and verse 3 said this, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. You know, we have always say, well, God lives in the praises of his people. Well, this is that scripture where that, that, that comes from. God inhabitest the praises of Israel. In other words, let me read it to you in a couple more verses. The New King James Version said, But you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. And then the Japanese literal translation listen to this, I read it today. It said, The praise of Israel builds a big chair for God to sit on. The praise of the church. So it doesn't matter if you're in this congregation, if you're at home, if you're on the job, you wanna get God's presence. What do you do? You begin to worship God. You begin to lift up your hands. It's, you know, I, I can't tell you because all my life I've lived in, in, in and around the church, born and raised in the church. And uh, I, I know this is a fact. You don't have to be here to worship God. And you don't have to be here to feel God. The same feeling you had here Sunday, or you get here on Wednesday. The same feeling can touch you anywhere at any time you start worshiping God. Worship invites the presence of God into our midst. He inhabits that. He dwells there. He lives there. He wants to enthrone himself there. He makes his abode there. And the Japanese translation said it all to me. Israel built a big chair for God to sit on. I'd like to build a big chair for God to sit on on Wednesday night right here at 6680 Frontage Road. God loves our worship. You know why he loves worship? Because we who are sinners know that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and we come before him and we start telling him how great he is and how mighty he is and how thankful we are and we worship him because he is the almighty God. There's none beside him. There's none like him. There's none that can compare to him. Can you say amen? And when he hears that he said "Uh, I'm going there. Churches that don't worship Don't have the presence of God. When people walk in this church, it's not my presence they feel, Brother Eric. It's not your presence or your presence or your... No, 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 no. They said, I feel something like I had never felt. It's the presence of God because people worship. And when the worship goes, the presence of God comes. Can you say amen? All that's simple. We're going there. Just hold on. So my worship determines the dimension of my forward advancement in my Christian walk with God, my pathway to his discipleship. And I will advance no further, no further than my worship lifestyle grants me to go. I will never become what I need to be with God until I become the worshiper that he wants me to be. Amen. This is why God said in his word, he said, don't have any other God before me. He also said, I am a jealous God. If if you're worshiping something more than you're worshiping God, he's not pleased with that. He's he's a little bit frustrated with you because he said, I want to be God in your life. I want to be number one in your life. I don't want you giving more glory to somebody else. He said, as a matter of fact, my glory will I not give to another. I won't give my glory away. He's, 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 he's very plain in the scriptures, in his word, about he wants to be God and he is God. And let me tell you, he can destroy all other gods in your life with just one breath or one snap of his finger because he is the Almighty. Somebody said Amen. So in our worship, we need, or, or, let, let me just put it this way we have an unalterable an alter, an need for an altar. You gotta have an altar in your life. We find, and I teach this church, and especially for you new ones, I want you to hear me tonight. You find God at an altar, you keep God. At an altar. The altar is no place of shame here. Amen? I am never ashamed to go. I may preach a sermon and be the first one on the altar. I've done it many times. Because when you preach best is when you preach to yourself. But the altar's no shame here. Everybody say this with me. Never be ashamed to go to the altar. Because all of us are just human beings, and the altar is where we meet God. It's where we met him, and that's where we keep him. That's where we repented one time. That's where we keep repenting. That's where we worship one time. That's where we keep worshiping. Abraham had some altars in his life. He had, he had four especially that I want to talk about tonight. And the first one of them, you'll find a scripture in Genesis chapter 12, and I'll read verses 6 and 7. But the first one of them is the altar of salvation. The altar of salvation. The Bible said, Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sikkim and into the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. It's that first altar that he built that that it's it's where God passed through the land or Abraham passed through the land into that place that God said he appeared unto him and said, I'm going to give your seed this land. I'm going to put you here. And so Abraham stopped right there and built an altar to God. When Abraham first received the promise from God. I want you to notice something. The scripture said the Canaanite was then in the land. Canaan, Canaanites, rather, it, it is, is symbolic of our flesh. And when God first appears to us, we still have to rule this flesh, and we still have to overcome this flesh. And it is, it is a place of salvation for us. Abraham... Or Abram, should I say, was a young man in in an idolatrous culture. He had to step out on faith and obey a God that he had never seen, that he was really not familiar with. But God honored him even though the adversaries and the sinners were in that land. He said, I am going to give you this right here. I'm going to make this yours. And Abram built an altar. Faith is stepping out on nothing, and landing on something. <clears throat> Let me say that again. Faith is when you step out on nothing and you land on something. You see, your salvation begins with faith. You can't come to God until you believe. When you start to believe faith, faith is, is the predi- uh, It's what our, our salvation is predicated on. It's what it's built on. If you don't believe there's a God, you're not going to be saved. If you don't believe there's a God, you're certainly not going to believe his word. But if you do believe, and if your faith is reaching, you will step out on nothing and suddenly land on something. And you do that at an altar. (coughs) Pardon me. (coughs) Hebrews 11 and 6. Watch this. But without faith. It is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you come to God, you're going to come in faith. When Abram built an altar, it was the altar of salvation for him because he was saying, God, I believe you. I'm going to stand on this. I'm going to believe this. I'm not going to stagger at your promises. As a matter of fact, if you want to know what faith really is, Hebrews 11 and 1 said, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of, of things not seen. Listen, let me read it in this, in this version. Now faith is the foundation of things hoped for and the evidence are the proof of things that are not seen. So Abram, what are you saying? It's the day of salvation for my family. It's is what God is about to give me. We need, everybody needs an altar of salvation where God meets you in your faith And you repent of your sins. And you bury some things before God. And walk in and possess the land that God has for you. God's got a place for everybody. There's no big I's and little U's in God's kingdom. Well, amen. There's nobody got seniority in God's kingdom. God don't love you any more than he loves me. And he don't love me any more than he loves you. I don't care how much money you have in the bank. You can be rich or poor. I don't care if you're fat, skinny, ugly. It doesn't matter. God just loves everybody. You can't do anything to to make him love you anymore, and you can't do wrong enough to make him love you any less. Does that make sense? He just loves us. And so when he calls us, we there build an altar for our salvation, our faith. Our faith drives us to an altar of repentance. Our faith drives us to believe him. And the Bible said, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. For thus spake he of the Spirit. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, but Jesus was not yet glorified. So what I'm saying to you is Abraham had that first encounter. It was his salvation. It was that altar of salvation. Let me hurry. I love this one because Genesis 13, verses 3 and 4. The Bible said, And he went on his journey from the south even to Bethel, and to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai. Unto the the place of the altar, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So he left the altar. Watch this. He he had a remarkable experience with God at that first altar, the altar of salvation. He made a trip into Egypt, a type of the world, why? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. We're not told. But we do know that it ended in disaster for him. He almost lost his wife there. He also found out how fearful and weak he was on his own. And so the scripture said Egypt was not that territory that God intended for Abraham. The world is not where God wants you. He, so watch me close here. When he finally determined to come back, to the promised land, he returned to the place where his tent had been at the beginning and he put down his stakes. This was his altar of determination. This is where he built the altar of no return. Let me talk tonight about the altar of no return in your life. Let me talk to you about the altar that everybody has to build. When you come to God, I talked last week on being, on being committed to God. And I talked a little bit about looking back. And the Bible said, if you put your hand to the plow looking back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Anybody ever read that scripture? It, it, there's a three-word sermon in the New Testament that said, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. Why? What did Lot's wife do? She looked back. And when she did, she turned into a pillar of salt. But every Christian must come to the altar of determination at some point in your life. What is great to me is that the altar of salvation became the altar of determination for Abraham. Because when he had his life in a, in a place of disarray and he had to lie to keep his, uh, his, his own wife, and his, he almost lost his wife. Let me just tell you something. It was then that he realized, i got to get back i got to get back to where God done something for me and promise me some things. He he gave me a promise, and so he came back. This is an altar every Christian has to have because our arrival there doesn't mean that we won't have any more trials, we don't have any more tests, we don't have any more stumbling, but when we have driven the stake, as Abraham did, he went right back to where his tent was and he drove another stake and once that altar of determination is constructed, it is the altar of no return. Everybody say this with me, no matter what. You got to make up your mind if you're going to live for God. Living for oh, I'm going to preach a little bit right now. Living for God has never been convenient. My dad used to say, if you don't meet the devil every once in a while, you're probably going the same way he is. Makes sense, doesn't it? When you live for God, you're going against the grain of the world. While the world's going this way and everybody's happy-go-lucky, you're going the other way. I read somewhere, I read somewhere, and I think it might have been the Scriptures, where it says, narrow is the way, and straight is the gate, and few there be that find it. Now few you say, well what you mean what do you mean? hundred, fifty? Now look, do you know how many billions of people upon the face of this earth even right now and how many have already gone on? Let me tell you, heaven's going to be a very populated place, but it's going to be few compared to what has lived upon the face of this earth. But here's what I am telling you. When you make up your mind, when you decide you're going to build an altar and drive a stake and you're not going to go back, I'm going to tell you, trials can't turn you around. Tribulation can't turn you around. Sorrow can't turn you around. Even stumbling can't turn you around. Defeat can't turn you around. You are on your way to heaven and you won't give up. I wish somebody just shout, I won't give up. Hallelujah. See, those who refuse to build that second altar inevitably, they end up backsliding and away from their very first love. You know why? Because it's just kind of, well, you know, I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. Let me tell you about me, I'm going to make it. Well, I don't know if I'm going to survive. I'm going to survive you got to have a right attitude, and you got to build an altar and drive a stake. It's all in your determination. There's an old, old song that says, I am determined. I've made up my mind. I'll serve the Lord. Anybody ever heard this old song, If Mama Don't Go? Throw me that box again, David. I forgot my handkerchief. If Mama Don't Go, I'll what? I'll carry on. If daddy don't go, I'll carry on. If my family don't go, I'll carry on. Come on now. You got to have a made up mind. This is not about cliques and groups and fun. And hey, we're in war. We're in spiritual warfare on an everyday, on an everyday calendar. Every day you wake up and the devil's trying to steal your soul. Every day you get up, you got to fight spiritual things in this world. Well, let me tell you, I'm like the old song, I Am Determined. There's another one that said, I got my foot on the rock and my mind's made up. Hallelujah. You can't turn me. I don't care what you say. You can't turn me. I don't care what you do. You're not going to turn me. I read the back of the book and we win. I got in the back of the book and I'm not a defeating man. I'm on the winning side today. Anybody believe what I'm preaching here tonight? I'm building my altar and driving my stake. I've decided to follow Jesus, and I won't turn back. Abraham, at that point in time, said, I'm going back to the Promised Land. I'm going back where I found him first. I'm driving my stake where my tent was, and I'm building an altar right there, and it's the altar that, that I'm going to remember there that I've made up my mind. I'm determined. I've decided to follow Jesus the cross before me, the world behind me. Though none will go with me, still I will follow. Take the whole world, but give me Jesus. Amen. You say, well, maybe they didn't have the opportunity to turn back like we did. Oh, really? Oh, really? Let me give you a little scripture in Hebrews, the New Testament. Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 15. Let me read a little bit what it said. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. That's in the, that's in what we call the chapter of the heroes of faith. They had a chance to go back. Uh, Why do people backslide? Because they they lose the vision. They lose the determination. I've always said it, and I'll say it again. It's it's just just been said all my life. To live for God, you gotta have a backbone like a saw log and a hide like an alligator. You gotta be tough. You can't live for God just when you're with church folks. I might, I might quit preaching here and get to meddling. You can't just live for God just when you're in men's group on Thursday. You can't just live for God when you're with the Wednesday night crowd of worshipers or Sunday morning when it's, the music's fired up and everything feels good. Woo, I'm going to live for God. What are you doing on Monday? What are you doing when you get with the guys at work? One of them offers you a drink or ask if you want a little smoke or if you want to do some weed. I'm just getting down where we are. Don't tell me you don't deal with that. It's all over the world. What are you going to do when she walks by and winks at you and you're a married man? Kids are in back. I'm talking to you tonight. You're going to live for God on Monday just like you did on Sunday morning? Or is your shout gone? You better build you an altar of determination because the Bible said they had opportunity to go back. But now. Ha ha. Let's read the next verse. But now, watch what it said. But now they desire a better country, that is a heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, and he hath prepared for them a city. Ladies and gentlemen, I got my foot on my rock. I, have I stumbled? Yeah. Have I made mistakes? You better believe it. I've made more than I want to talk about in this pulpit. But let me tell you right now, I am determined I've built me an altar of determination I am going to see the face of God I am going to hear him say well done by the help and the grace of the almighty God ah my goodness you must have left some of that up here brother Jason I feel the Holy Ghost in the house build your altar of no return build it in your beliefs Build it in your convictions. Build one for your marriage. Build one for your home. Build an altar for everything that is valuable to you and drive a stake and say, this is where I'll never leave. Here's another altar Abraham built. In the 17th and 18th verse of chapter 13 of Genesis, he said this. The Lord said, Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Abraham had been given the promises that the land would be his. But then the Lord called him to actually pace it off, walk it off, measure it out. He told him to measure the dimensions of God's promise. You see, it's one thing to have a promise, and it's another thing to have a possession. And the only way to get from the promise to the possession is to pursue. Now, I just slobbered a bib right there. You need to grab. It's one thing to have a promise. It's another thing to have a possession. And to get from the promise to the possession, you have to pursue. It don't just fall in your hands. I read a scripture that said, let every man work out his own salvation with fear and trembling. I read that in the Bible. See, when Joshua was prepared to go enter into the promised land, the Lord said this to him, that he would give him whatever he would fight for. That's what the Lord said to Joshua. I'm going to give you whatever you'll fight for. Joshua 1 and 3 said this, every place that the sole of your, of, of your foot shall tread upon, notice that word, that I have given unto you as I said unto Moses, Every place your foot shall tread. Now, you want to know what the word tread means in this verse? It is spelled B-A-R-A-K, Barak, if you please, which means take up your weapon and fight for it. So let me read that scripture like it really says it. Every place that the sole of your feet shall take up your weapon and fight for it, I'm going to give it to you. It's the altar of occupation. It's the altar where you say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll fight every day for the things of God. I don't mean fist fighting and your brother and drawing. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about spiritual warfare here. But in Joshua's case, it was taking up your weapons, and fighting literally for the land that God is going to give for you. Nothing's worth having that's not worth fighting for. Hello? It ain't worth fighting for. I don't want it. Amen. You know why I was such a mean rascal when I was a teenager? When it come to Erlene. But let me tell you, I felt like she's worth fighting for. I mean, I caught one sitting by her in a tabernacle down at the campground and knocked him flat to his back with my fist. Shut up, Dennis, I'm preaching. You say, You didn't really do that. I did because she's worth fighting for. She's going to get me when I get home. I feel the eyes all over me. There's some things worth fighting for. You know what truth is? It's worth fighting for. You know what salvation is? It's worth fighting for. You know what your church is? It's worth fighting for. Hallelujah. Somewhere you got to take a stand and say, I'm not moving. I, I, this is going to be my, my land, my possession. This is what God gave me. I'm working for it. I'm going to attain it. I'm going to have it. I'm not going to let anybody talk me out of it. Nobody's going to cheat me out of it. This is where God put me, and this is what I'm going to possess. Hallelujah. I have one more I'm going to talk about. You may get out early tonight. I don't know, but I'm going to finish when I finish. And here it is. I love this one. It'll take me a few minutes. It's called the altar of dedication. Genesis 22, still talking about Abraham. The Bible said in verse 9, they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. This was the final altar of Abraham's life. It was the altar of the unexpected. Could I just paint you the picture? Maybe some of you know it or don't know it. Many of you may know it. But here's the picture. Abraham, a man of faith who has done what God told him to do. He's now 100 years old. His wife is 90. And God says to him, I'm going to give you a son. And Sarah did just what some of you are thinking. She laughed. Nanny, a son, but he was a promised child. The story is that because she didn't believe, she encouraged Abraham to go into Hagar, the bondwoman. And He did, and she had a child. But God wasn't pleased because that was not the promised child. Do you know why there's an Ishmael and an Israel, and do you know why there's Arabs and Israelites today? Because Abraham went to a bondwoman and produced the Arab nation, and Abraham finally went into Sarah and produce a Jewish nation. So here's Abraham. And now he's he's got a boy, 90 years old. Sarah had a boy. His name was Isaac. He was the promised child. He's growing up. Suddenly God speaks to him and says, Abraham, that's Lord. I want you to take your boy, your only son. Go read it for yourself. God didn't even acknowledge that Ishmael was his son. He said, I want you to go take Isaac, your only son, and take him to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice to me. How would you feel? Are we're talking about altars tonight. So Abraham took his only son. You think he might have had some thoughts, why is this happening? This boy that you gave me and I fell in love with, this promised child, and now you want me to take him to the top of a mountain, lay him in an altar, and, and offer him as a sacrifice? You think, think with me, what might have went through Abraham's mind? But here, yeah, I, I love the scripture and the scripture said, he staggered not. Say it with me, he staggered not. He never got disoriented. He never said, no, nah, I don't know about that. He didn't. You don't find that in the scripture. He gathered up the wood, gathered up the things for an altar, and, 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 and left the servants behind and said, you stay here, me and the lads going to offer a sacrifice. On the way up the mountain, little old Isaac, I don't know, what, 12 years old? He looks at his dad and he says, hey, daddy, you got all the wood and everything, but what are we going to do for a sacrifice? He said, where is the sacrifice? Oh, you talk about a prophetic scripture. Could I, could I just pause and inject something into your mind right now? You know what Abraham said to him? God will provide himself a sacrifice. You talk about faith. You talk about a man that couldn't be moved. God will provide himself a sacrifice. And if you want to take that in the prophetic sense, he was looking 4,000 years into time when God did provide himself a sacrifice and became flesh and died for the sins of we who sit on these pews tonight. Everybody with me? So Abraham, he's got the wood, he's got the fire, he's got everything, and he's headed up the mountain. And Isaac is questioning him, Lord, Dad, Dad, where, where's the sacrifice? And, and Abraham, in his mind, it's rolling over. He don't really know, but I'm about to lay him on this altar. And I'm about to tie him up. And I'm about to set him on fire. And I'm about to offer him a sacrifice unto God. It's called the altar of dedication. It's when you're willing to give everything, everything you have, for the kingdom of God. It's when nothing is withheld. It's when you draw everything back and say, Here it is, Lord. I am keeping nothing back. Some people want to serve God holding on to the things that they want to. Some people never give it their all. But until you give it your all, you will never have the peace. And the joy that comes with serving God. So he lays him on the altar. He builds the altar. He lays him on the altar. He ties him up. The Bible doesn't record what he said. It just says that he raised the knife. And he's about to take the life of his only son according to God. And there's a rustling in the bushes. And from behind him, an angel grabs his hand. And the Lord says unto him, listen closely. Because you built. He didn't say in these words. I'm going to tell you what he said in just a moment. But here's in essence what he said. Because you built an altar altar of dedication. And you're willing to give everything. Here's what he said. Abraham, now I know. Now I know. Just wonder on this Wednesday night, I feel the spirit of the Lord touching us here right now. I wonder how many have built the altar of dedication to where the Lord could say, now I know. Here it is, God, I will give you all. I will not withhold one thing. Here's my only boy. I built the altar of salvation. I came back, Lord, and built the altar of determination. I built the altar, oh, Lord. I built, I built altars all along through my life that I, that I could make sacrifices. I even built the altar of occupation. And now, Lord, here's my dedication. But nothing is more important than you. Nothing. Nothing. an altar of dedication says no matter what I'm serving you. You remember those boys in the book of Daniel, the third chapter? The Bible called them three Hebrew children. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and they were ordered not to pray to their God and to bow down to the God that they had made. And they said, we're not bowing. We're not doing that. We've we've got our own altar dedication, and we're not doing that. I love the scripture, verse 17, chapter 3 of Daniel. Put it on the screen if you will. Here's what the Bible said. If it be so, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, somebody say, but if not. You know what they're saying? We'd rather burn up than serve your God. Our dedication is to our God. We're going to throw it all on the table here. He's able, and he can, and he will. We believe he will, but if not, Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You're not pulling me away. I'm committed to God. I built my altar of dedication. I made up my mind. I got my foot on the rock. I'll give him my very last dime. I'll give him my very last breath. I'll offer him whatever he wants from me. There's a song that says, I will give you all. I will give you all, if all is what you ask of me, I will not withhold. Isn't it a gracious and an awesome God that would stop Abraham that day and just say, Abraham, it was a test. I know now, it was just a test. Sometimes we don't realize that we're in the test. But you realize this tonight, that if you build an altar of dedication, And you make up your mind you will pass the test you'll pass the test see here's the deal and i heard he'll close you got to pass him when i mean excuse me you got to serve him when the when the house is all in order when the car's running when the kids are all well you got to serve him when you got Paychecks coming in and there's money in your account. You've got to serve him when, when you're blessed. But you also got to serve him when there's no food on the table. And you've got to serve him when there's no gas in the car. And you've got to serve him when you can't pay the car note. You've still got to serve him. You can't ever waver. The promises of God, listen to me tonight, are yea and amen. That means that God will not default upon his promises, whatever he said. And you know what he said? I feed the sparrows of the air. I, I clothe the lilies of the field. I can take care of you. You take care of me, and you worship me, and you give me your very best. Jesus in his sermon on the round, I close with this. Here's what he said. Seek ye, say it loud, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all of these things, and he just got through talking about food, clothes, raiment, all of these things. That's why when you serve God, you have to make no apologies because the blessings of God will come upon you. Someone made some statements just a few days ago. They don't bother me with their statements. Let me tell you something. All of my life, my mama's sitting here right now. From the time I was old enough to know what it was, every dollar I make, a dime of it goes to God. From the time that I was born and brought into the church, everything I do is predicated upon God. Nothing is second in my life when it comes to the kingdom of God. I'm going to put him first. That's why I'm not apologizing for living where I live, driving what I drive, having what I have. You, if you wait for me to apologize, you hold your breath till you get to your car because it ain't happening. I'm going to say, thank you, God, for your blessings on me. Thank you, God, for your blessings on me. Thank you, God, for your blessings on me. You say, well, you're robbing the church. Really? The church has, I haven't said this, but I'm about to, the church has more in its account right now than it's ever had since I've been at this church. So I'm not robbing the church. If you gave 10 or 1,000 a day, that's, that's you and God. It make me no richer. I'm just who I am. Take what God gives me and that's it. But the facts are, I will give him all. I will not withhold. And if my sacrifice is less than giving him my very best, I'm in trouble with God. Abraham, final altar God said I saw those other altars you know I mean I'm thinking I'm thinking for God right now I saw all the other stuff you did but this was the ultimate sacrifice when I wanted your boy and you said okay you can have even my only son I know Abraham I know that your commitment is unto me and that's real worship shall we stand all over this room tonight thank you for being here my lord i feel the holy spirit of god talking with me right now i wish i had time to read a poem that i i found today i don't know that i've ever read a poem on wednesday night maybe i'll read just some of it anyway let's just see he left his father's land and boyhood dreams were in the past He helped his son, God's promise. What more would his friend ask? To yonder mountain, Abram, take the fire and take the wood. So trusting still, they climbed the hill, knowing that what came would come for good. When the altar was all finished and the wood was all in place, he looked with love and sadness into his young son's face, God has asked me or has asked this of me. There's no less that I can do. I have withheld nothing. I never dreamed he had asked for you. And then the wind blew softly. And God leaned close and whispered low. If I ever wondered how you love me, now I know. That's just half of it. I won't bore you. I'm just telling you, you better build an altar. You better build one where you come to God with salvation, where you occupy. You better build one of determination, and by all means, you better build one of dedication to God. It's important. Father, all over this building on a Wednesday night, just speak real softly to us right now. Let your sweet spirit talk to our minds and our hearts, oh God. Let us know that you're speaking to us tonight. These are no times for turning back. These are no times for relinquishing what you have given us to the world and to the devil. God, we're going to hold on by faith and we're going to believe your word and we're going to stand tall and do the work of God. I pray for this congregation tonight that your Holy Spirit flood us and cover us and move on us right now. In Jesus' name.